Welcome to Savvy Sab's podcast on call-in. This is episode 58, Biden Blocks Rail Strike. Biden is asking Congress to reach an agreement with rail workers in order to prevent a railroad worker strike because it could devastate the economy. It's time for a general strike. Let's chat. All right, and I see we got people lined up already in the queue. Let's go ahead and bring in uh robin you are on the mic just have to hit unmute good to talk to you hello how are you i'm doing good hey i was calling in about the strike situation because um you know i spent 12 years of my life in human resources. And so as a part of human resources, I think one of the things before I want to get into the whole strike thing, one of the myths that I want to dispel for anybody that's listening is this notion that human resources is for the employee. Human resources is not there for the employee. Human resources is there for management, to keep management out of trouble. Oftentimes your human resources manager may think that they are there for you, but in time there will come up with, there will be situations that come up that this uh, HR manager will realize pretty quickly in their career, no, you are not there for the employee. You are there to keep the manager and or the company out of trouble. The second thing is, even if you are a manager, human resources is not there for you either. (laughs) And so if there's a situation where you find yourself in a position where you are, the company is being sued because of, you know, some accusation that you as a manager or, you know, they're saying that you did X, Y, and Z or whatever, Always get your own representation. Do not rely on the representation of the company ever. So before that, that's, I just wanted to say that for your, you know, your audience before I, I went first. Well, well said, Robin, I was just going to add a hundred percent correct. And I think a lot of employees <laughs> make that mistake. They think that HR is there to help them and they're really not. <laughs> no, no. And, and and I will say this, you know, I I started in HR literally the day after I graduated from high school and I went through and I the, the reason for that was I went through this program called Inroads. And I don't know if you're familiar with Inroads or not or whatever, but it was for, you know, minority youth or whatever. Um, and the company that I went through Inroads through, the reason why they hired me initially as an intern was through their affirmative action program, meaning that, you know, they had government contracts. And so they had to make efforts to show that they were diversifying their organization. And so they were having a problem with, I guess, recruiting professionals um, that were already, you know, graduates. And so they went through the inroads program and said, well, If we go through inroads and we hire these kids as interns, then we'll grow our own, you know, managers that are 
black and Hispanic and Native American and female and all of that to be a part of our uh, to be a part of our team. So that's how I got to be a part of the, I guess what you all would call the professional managerial class through that process. So um, as part of that, um, being in human resources, one of the things that I uh, was trained on was, you know, you never want a union to infiltrate your organization. And so, you know, and I, I know that's not a surprise to you. Um, but what I will say, though, is that what I was trained upon in several of the organizations that I was in HR with was that one of the best ways to not allow unions to come into your organization was to actually have good employee policies. <laughs> and I don't understand why most companies just don't get that. If you treat employees right, nine times out of 10, if people. Uh-oh. Oh, Robin, I think you cut out. I'm going to um invite you as a. To get their foothold in. Um, the second thing, though, it, that was uh, advantageous to employee, I mean, to HR in terms of deterring union, uh, union organization was, and I think it was briefly mentioned in your YouTube to, uh, thing today, was that I'm just going to, I'm just going to lay it out here. The, 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 the union organizations that are most well-known and everything are corrupt. I'm just putting it out there. They, you know, just like HR is not there to serve the employee. I'm, I'm here to tell the people the union bosses are not there to serve you either. I'm just going to. And so because of that, it makes it easier for the corporations to say, these people are not here to serve you. And they look and go, yeah, you know, they taking all this money out of my pocket and everything every two weeks and stuff or whatever. And then, you know, when it comes time to where they talk about want to strike, all of a sudden they ain't got no money to help us pay for these bills and blah, 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 blah. And they've heard stories from their parents and whatever, you know, and then that's another deterrent. So I'm just putting it out there to everybody who anybody who wants to listen, you know, if you're part of a traditional union organization and if you suspect that there's corruption and well you know I, i'm just laying it out there they're not there for you either now with those things said one of the things when i was in hr that scared us to death was i guess you know i didn't even know the word for it at this time because i was literally wet behind my ears just out of college for a few years but now I have a, a word for it is what you call this general strike. And the reason why was, you know, I was working in an industry outside of UPS, but I remember very vividly the UPS strike that happened under the Clinton administration. Now, I will say as an HR person that it was something that, um, you know, I would, you know, I'm not a Democrat, 
uh, but I would give the Clinton administration credit for from as an outsider from the Democratic Party or whatever. And the reason for that is, is that, and I, as an HR person, I thought that the the strike was justified because I they, at that time, they were hiring a bunch of part-time workers to keep them, to keep from having to give them the benefits that they were offering the union workers that were under the contract. And so they were hiring all of these part-time people and working them all kinds of insane hours and stuff like that. You know, and then the, the you know, the part-time people were like, well, well, you know, I'm working 50, 60 hours a week. Why don't you hire me as, as full-time? They wouldn't do it. And so then they rose up and the union backed them as a part of that. That was, you know, they were able to uh, handle that okay. But when there was the threat that the strike was going to jump from UPS to FedEx, that's when everything fell apart. And that's when I remember um, Bill Clinton, and I don't remember if it was Valerie Jarrett or whoever it was that was his, that was his union person or whatever. They went and they made sure that that stuff got squashed. And when I mean squashed from an HR perspective, I mean that everybody negotiated and everything. And so UPS stopped a lot of that, you know, hiring all of these um, part-time people to circumvent having to hire full-time people and give them all of the benefits that they were paying those that were under the union contract. So still see um, that happening today. That, that mm-hmm. same process where they'll just hire part-time people and then, or they'll hire people like a friend of mine is a travel nurse. Mm-hmm. And some of the assignments that she has is because it's a crisis situation. So like uh, when the fires happened in California uh, last year, she went to go help with that. But sometimes they contact her to help with the hospitals where the nurses have gone on strike. And I told her, I was like, why are you crossing the picket line? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that was the that was the thing that it was the threat of solidarity, because, you know, as I was remembering this, I was like, you know, I was trying to do some Googling and everything to see if FedEx ever went through with the solidarity piece. And I never saw any articles about it. But as an HR person, I think it was just the threat of it, the just the threat of the union workers of FedEx joining UPS as part of that strike. That just, you know, you know, Clinton and everybody else got involved and, and, and they, you know, made those concessions and stuff and made sure that they stopped treating those part time workers like that. Um, so the general strike is a very real threat to employers. And I'm like I said, I'm saying this from somebody that sat on the opposite line, you know, on the opposite side of the line on that or whatever. Um, and even again, just me being at a, as an observer, just, you know, being very grateful that Bill Clinton went in and kind of resolved that because, you know, I'm to- working for a totally different industry. Okay. It's one thing if UPS doesn't bring in your parcels and the other that, okay, we've got another competitor, but then if their major competitor joins with them, then you, that cripples every industry in the United States of America. And like I said, it was just that threat of, of FedEx joining UPS as a part of that strike 
that they squash that real quick. So that's right. That's right. I even told uh, one of the union organizers from Starbucks that was a part of our activist summit. I told her like, do you think the restaurant workers should have joined together? And I say that because Chipotle workers have been trying to unionize and they've been having a really difficult time. Like there was a Chipotle location in Maine that was just completely, they shut the store down mm-hmm. because they tried to, to unionize. And I was like, what if Starbucks, McDonald's, Burger King, Chipotle, like all of these, I guess say fast food, I guess Chipotle isn't technically fast food, but all of them, all of these, these, these locations like that, they all should have joined like in solidarity and called it like, I don't know, the the restaurant strike or something like that. Imagine how powerful that would have been instead of just, okay, Starbucks unionized. Okay, now um, uh, Amazon location unionized. But I mean, like, if everybody had joined together, that would have been a really powerful moment. Because see, now, because they were all separated, all it takes is for that CEO of that company to say, okay, we'll just close down that location. But you, you're not going to have all the CEOs of all the restaurants say, okay, we're going to close down all the restaurants because that's their money. So you you have to have like some type of solidarity. And that's what they're trying to do in the UK right now. Yeah, it makes it, it's a little bit different or and probably a little bit more difficult to do it with the um, restaurants, particularly with the fast food restaurants because they're franchised. So it's not like, so they're not all working for the same employer, you know, type of deal. So that would make it a a lot harder from an HR, you know, um, to, to, to massively organize from that perspective. And again, I'm just talking from my HR brain, um, that it would be harder for the, uh, for people to, to do those type of strikes. And then also just from a practical perspective now, you know, I'll tell you, Sabby, I've gone into, every time I've gone into a McDonald's, I've never had a person take my order at the counter or in the, in the last year, probably since the pandemic, I can't think of anybody that's taken my order. So that's the other thing too, is that technology now has gotten to the, to the place where it's, it's, it's harder for fast food places to do that because all they're they're just gonna be like, okay, we'll just pop up kiosk or whatever, or we'll just do like Chick Fil A and just or whatever, and just say, well, you just got to use our app type of deal, and it'll hold, bypass everybody except for literally the people that are putting together the sandwiches and frying the fries and things like that. Does that mean that it can't be done? No, of course it can still be done, but I think that the the striking opportunity to to make a deep impact into the fast food industry unfortunately i think that time has passed but to your point for the railroad road workers the time for that type of deal to happen is exactly right now i mean this couldn't be a better time for that to happen and i'm saying this as somebody that was trained from a professional level to be on the opposite side of the unions, but this is the time for it to, if, if it's not, if now, if not now, then when is, is basically the slogan, because if, if you, if you give now, (laughs) it's just not going to happen. And just like from a political perspective, as, as you know, you talked about, or other people have talked about before you looked at, you look at what's going on in the house 
and how, you know, the Republicans are about to do a forced vote, you know, thing that the Democrats, you know, were hollering about two years ago. And, yep. you know, they found out, way, found ways. And so now they're, they're, they're find, going to find themselves in a situation where potentially their minority leader is going to be worse than what they had. Yep. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I would just say that um, I, I really believe just from, just from a personal perspective, but also from an HR perspective, What's going on with these railroad strike uh, workers is ridiculous. And that's the other thing I want to say, too. Even though HR is not there for the workers, that doesn't mean that the HR doesn't feel for the workers as well. It just means that they know who signs their paychecks. And so a lot of HR workers are very sympathetic to workers. It's just at the end of the day, just like anything else, are you going to side with the person who signs your paycheck? Or are you going to side with, you know, with, you're going to be with the solidarity movement or whatever. That's what it is. Bottom line. Uh, but right. I will say that uh, for the railroad workers, I stand with them. You know, I'm not in HR anymore, so I don't have a dog in any of these fights. You know, um, I, I'm of the opinion that if you, if you get, garner a paycheck, and don't sign a paycheck, you are a part of the working class. That's so, you know, um, so that's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, so I, I really believe that this is ridiculous. And um, I really, I don't know if I feel bad for the Democrats about, you know, for those that said vote blue, no matter who, I, I don't know if I feel bad about it. But if this is not a wake up call that, these people are not for you. I really don't know what else they need to do to let you know that they do not care about you. And that's all I got to say about that. Thank you so much, Robin. Well said. Um, I'm going to bring in, going to bring in uh, CR here. And I just want to tell you guys as well, like they don't even want to give them sick days. Like remember, you know, for those of you that saw the stream, what I said tonight was that it was brought to my attention a couple years ago. One of my coworkers who does have kids explained to me that she had to save her sick days because if her kids got sick, she has to use her sick time to take care of her sick kid. And that was a wake up call to me as someone who does not have kids, something I never really thought about before. So they don't even want to give them sick time. This is absolutely ridiculous. What's going on, CR? Hey, Savage. Good to see you. Um... Wow. Yeah. Robin, very good stuff. <laughs> I agree with uh, many things that they were just saying, uh, for sure. Um, uh, I wanted to play a little bit of a quick devil's advocate with you, because uh, that's always fun, right? Go for it. <laughs> let's, not, let's not just be in an echo chamber, right? Okay, so, um, so as far as this union thing, obviously, you and I both agree very much about the this situation, but I'm going to take a different stance right now. So uh, the general strike that y'all are calling for uh, historically often has been very partisan and has fueled uh, uh, partisan uh, uh, ambitions and has not been ultimately very useful for the people. What do you have to say about that? Well, we did a little bit of research about this last year before we did our general strike summit. And what we found is like, we've never had a national general strike in this country. But there was a general strike in Seattle. 
uh, many years ago. And you're right that there is that there is that that uh, that idea that it could it's end up attached, being, it's attached to one party usually. Right, and and that's, that's what you that's have pushing. To, right, that's what you would have to avoid. Like you would have to do something like what Chris Smalls did when he unified the Amazon workers. Like that was across party lines uh, in Staten Island. Like Staten Island is Republican for the most part, like like that district. So you have to unify people across the issues and the benefits and things like that. And so it's easier for the unions to unify people because they're all working at the same company. What we would need to do is we would need to convince other people who know that they've been struggling all these years that, hey, like we all need to join in this together. Now, I would look towards something like what the UK is doing right now, like the postal workers. They're like, let's get together with the teachers. Let's also get together with the nurses, people in other industries. So that's the thing, the question that I have, like, how is it that they're able to just do that a lot more easily than we are here in the United States? It seems like there, they seem to understand that like, look, we have to, we have to get together. Like we can't be, we can't be divided when it comes to our labor. Well, how, how much how much of a, a, a lower class does, you know, London have compared to uh, in New York would be, I guess, again, my, my, the, the devil's advocate pushback. You know, in London there, I think that they have less of, you know, a lower class. So they're able to kind of have class solidarity along different political ideologies. That's why they're able to have the national uh, health system that they have there in England. You know what I mean? So, so again, yeah. they're able to, br- they're able to bridge that a little bit more because they don't necessarily uh, uh, deal. Cause also they also, the very low murder rate and stuff like that in their country. You know what I mean? So they, it's very much of a different country. I'm, again, I'm just playing devil's advocate. Not should I believe, well, I know this is what, this is what they would throw at you. They would say, they would say you're making an apples to oranges comparison right now. What would you say well, it's also Scotland too. It's it's not just London, like it's it's Scotland and um, England as well. And so and they have people from different industries like nurses, uh, teachers, the postal workers, which what they're trying to do, the postal workers is completely ridiculous. Uh, University administrators as well. So that that's the thing is like, I don't know, like this is something I've noticed when I look at other countries, when I looked at all the people that rose up in Sri Lanka and said, we're going to storm the prime minister's house and tell him to get the fuck out. And that's what they did. And they pushed him out of his own house and he ran away. So, I mean, it's just like, but in, in this country, I think a lot of us have been conditioned to the fact that we should be happy for what we have because we live in the United States. And and that, that kind of brings me to my, my other point that I was going to bring up was, in terms of these, the railroad strikes right now, uh, I, I definitely find a huge gap, as I'm sure you would see that even the most, you know, centrist, center-right, shit-lib, liberal, should be kind of a little bit like, hey, Joe Biden, you said you were going to be the most pro-worker, pro-union president, and here you are, you know, forcing these people to take a deal that they don't want, you know what I mean? So. I, I, I find that kind of very interesting that, that that this 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 should be kind of a litmus test, even for the most shitty shit lib to uh, uh, not have solidarity. Right. And, and, and that leads me to believe that 
we live in such a segregated society that we actually don't have just that ability to actually empathize. Like they've done such a good job. First, the, the cul-de-sacs, right? Putting us in suburbs was the first part step, step. And then they put us into cul-de-sacs. And then from there now with the kind of the Uber Eats and the uh, Lyfts and the Eat 24s, they've, you know, able to further segregate us now. Wouldn't, wouldn't you say that that kind of leads into like where workers now don't realize that they have solidarity with these other people just because they don't interact with them anymore. They have no concept of the fact that they should have solidarity with these people. Maybe, but the thing is they have those things in other countries too. Like if I go to Europe, like they have Uber eats and they have, they have all those things too. I think the difference is, is like, we don't really have community here in the United States the way that we used to. Uh, based yeah, on the stories exactly. I've heard from like my parents and my grandparents, right? We don't have a strong sense of community, and here it's more of a, a selfish, a selfish mentality where you're just supposed yeah, to worry they, about. They didn't, they didn't grow up with the cul-de-sacs, though. They didn't grow up with the cul-de-sacs that we do have now, like that whole kind of cul-de-sac suburb layout. And oh, you're you talking look, about the, the um, cookie, the cookie cutter communities? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. But just like the, you know, the very cold, the cul-de-sac specifically because they're not walkable and they're they keep you very separate. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And there's many types of things like, uh, um, let's say I'm over here in Oakland, and and, and I was looking about because you know Oakland is it's it's gone many different ways over the years. You know what I mean? It's had huge different communities, Chinese and and African American and so on and so forth. And before that. You know, it was a huge kind of like rich white population before that, you know what I mean? And then it was white flight in the 50s. You know what I mean? It, it's, it's a crazy thing. But uh, uh, one of the things that if you look uh, at when they started putting in more of the highways, because here in the Bay Area and in, in Oakland, San Francisco, we have crazy freeway kind of uh, uh, system. You know what I mean? It's one of, you know, kind of most bananas kind of set of different freeways and on ramps and, right. you know five different freeways intersect each other but if you look back to like the 60s and 70s all these like nice beautiful laid out and grid neighborhoods that were completely demolished and destroyed so they could build the 580 or the 880 or the the 980 or the the the, the uh you know the exchange over to the 980 the 880 and so on and so forth or the one that goes or the 80 or the 580 you know or to the 80 that goes across to san francisco they they systematically destroyed these neighborhoods to build this kind of like giant five lane wide commerce to again to separate everybody you know what I mean to separate our experiences and I and I feel like that that's yeah. kind of like at the heart of what we're at right now why we're different from like Europe you know what I mean they didn't they didn't get that as much as that we did where right. like we we have we have the ability to have all these different groups of people that are, are workers and unions to band together but they don't. You know, an Uber driver doesn't see any solidarity with a railroad worker. You get what I'm saying? Right. Like they, you know, they're notorious in this country, at least, for putting freeways through black neighborhoods, too. They've done exactly, that yeah. in, in Boston uh, through Roxbury. And they put 93 through um, in between the North End and uh, uh, Haverhill Market. And so the North End wasn't always easy to get to in the first place. But when they put they did the big dig and they put 93 going through the North end that made it even harder to get to. Um, so yeah, I, I totally hear what you're saying about the freeways, but I think part of the reason why we don't have community also in this country, at least for my generation, people don't stay. People don't stay That's anywhere. True. Like 
I've lived here. <clears throat> I've lived here in Massachusetts for 11 years now. I've seen a lot of people come and go. I've seen a lot of people that have been here for just, they'll come here, they'll stay for a year. And then they're like, okay, I want to try another city now. And, and that's just not just a Boston thing. Like that happens in DC. It happens in New York city, LA, like San Francisco, like people are wanting to move around more. And then also people move because cost of living, you know, some people will come to these cities because that's where the jobs are and they're going to get employed. And then they realize the cost of living just continues to increase in those cities. So they'll leave. And that's why you have people leaving places like Boston and New York and moving to a Nashville or a Raleigh, North Carolina or Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Or Austin. And those places are starting to increase now too, because of all the influx of transplants. So I think that's a big part of the problem too. Like I, I don't know many communities now where at least for like my generation where people grew up in the same neighborhood or the same town and, and they still live there. Like that's almost unheard of, uh, at, at least for me. Whereas with my parents, they can go back home to Baltimore and their friends still live on the, their friends, moms still live <laughs> on the same street and the same house yeah. and the same people in the neighborhood. And like, I don't know what that's like. Yeah. You know, it's funny, uh, you know, you just brought up a, a distinct memory. I remember talking to some old hippie in uh, West Oakland, um, you know, around, around the first time I started, you know, I came out, came out this way. And um, he said, you know what the problem is with with Oakland? And I was like, uh, no, sir. Well, what's the problem? He said, we're, 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 we're a bunch of misfits and that's all great and whatnot. He's like, but we're, we're transients too. And he's like, there's no fucking community here. Yep. And and this was, uh, let's see, this is probably like 10 years ago. I remember, yeah, he was telling me that. And at the time, I was kind of like, okay, cool, go drop some more acid. Nice to talk to you. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't really take in what he was saying. But it's kind of funny that as you were saying that about uh, the, the lack of community, that's it, it, it is unfortunate in, in, the, in that, 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 uh, um, What's the I'm lacking the word, but you know what I mean. Where they come in and they change the gentrification and all those different kind of things like that. You know the processes they do drive people in and out. They bring in new people, drive the old people out. I mean, like mm-hmm. I don't think most people still to this day think of uh, Oakland as like an African American city, but yeah, I've heard like, it's changed. I think it's, I think it's down to like thirty thirty five percent, maybe. Tops. I think there's probably more Latinos now in in Oakland than there are, you know. But I mean, uh, after well, the, the white the white flight in the 50s and 60s, yeah, Oakland for a while was with Oakland uh, Chinese and Latino, you know, it's very dominant like that. But nowadays, even though people still think of it that way, the demographics have changed really, really big. And 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 again, I I don't know. My my I, I, I was trying to tie this into like solidarity with workers. And I think mm-hmm. that because of the, because we're so transient, sometimes we don't we don't tie into the different things that like oh like all the fish guys that do all the fish chucking down at the docks and right. you guys drive the trucks and like you know the Chinese do the the fish chucking and the the black guys drive the trucks and you don't talk to each other, you know. But at the same time, they have the same interests. Well, it's the other thing. You know what? You're 100 percent right. It's another thing too is that I've noticed as well. Because I've lived in different cities and sometimes the locals don't want to make the effort to get to know you or to 
welcome you to the community because they know you're not going to be there long. That That's yeah. a big problem that we have here in Boston. So if you just move here and you're like, yeah, I want to be a part and involved in the community, you're going to have a tough time because nine times out of 10, three of those apartments in your apartment building are going to flip within the next two years with different residents. Uh, and then also the locals who grew up there in the community don't really want to chat with you because they know you're not going to be there long. How do, how do, how do we, how do we bridge that gap there? You know what I mean? Cause like, I'm, you know, I'm one of those kind of dingus is I'll just walk up to anybody and be like, Hey, what's up, man. And they're like, get away from me. And I'm like, all right, yep. cool. So does that mean like, never say hi to you? And they'll be like, yeah, that means get away from me. And I'm like, okay, well we live in the same building. So I'm good. like, I'm one of those people that will kind of, you know, long past when I should have walked away, I'll kind of continue to, to kind of engage people. Cause I, I just, I don't know. I'm just not, you know, mixed family, you know what I mean? Uh, um, and stuff like that, you know, and, and kind of growing up here in the Bay area, like I just, to me, I'm not really afraid to talk to people. So I guess all this stuff is a little bit kind of baffling to me in a, in a certain way, but I, I've come to now understand that I'm just a weirdo that is willing to talk to any stranger. But that's how um, it used to, but, that's how it used to be though, CR. Like that's how it used right? to the, be. The bar, like the bar, like the bar. Yeah. Yeah, like you could go to a bar by yourself on a Friday night and you can just start conversation with people at the bar. Now, like if I if I were to do that, now I get weird looks like, who are you? Why are you talking to me? Like that kind of <laughs> it's it's just very different now than how it used to be. Um I mean, technology could have some part to do with that, but I also think again, like I think some people are there's a little bit of paranoia when you live in the city. And I just want to be real. Like when I lived in New York, you know, it was just like the moment you get there, it's like you're told, don't trust anybody. Don't like, you know, watch your belongings. Don't put anything on the ground. It'll be gone. Like, don't. Same thing when I came back to Oakland. Same, right. They told me the same thing. People are like, are you stupid? Why, why are you moving to Oakland? Right. So, I mean, my whole thing is, is that if someone is new to the city and you give them all the don't do this, you give them all the don'ts. Then they're they're kind of like, okay, I'm I'm a little bit fearful here. And then it, it makes them standoffish when someone does come up to them and says, Hey, how's it going? It makes them like not want to trust that person or be skeptical of that person. So that's a big thing. I always said this and I still stand by this. Yeah. You gotta be a little a little paranoid and a little nutty to live in New York City. I'm just gonna be real. <laughs> you really do, because you yeah. can't I'm telling you. They're like, don't trust anybody. Don't put your bag on the floor. Don't put anything down. Don't look. You, you got to be a little bit nutty. And I'll say the same thing, too, about Boston. You you got to be a little if you're not if you're not a college student, because that's how a lot of people end up coming here to Boston. They come here for college and then they stay after they get a job. Um, yeah. If you're not coming here for school and you're one of the people like you just moved here, like for work or whatever, even in Boston, I got to say, you got to be a little nutty because like. <laughs> We have long winters. The streets are narrow. You have to dig your car up out of the snow. We have snow emergency days where you have to move your car to the other side of the street. We have uh, street cleaning. Um, we have a subway system that's not 24 hours like New York. Uh, people are really mean. Like people are really mean, especially if they don't know you. Um, yeah. And I, I think, you know, that's something that I think it takes some time getting used to. So those of us who lasted past three years, We've all admitted, like, we were all a little nutty. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that, I mean, uh, yeah, I could go on over a little bit. But I, I, last thing I'll just, like, say and let, let other people in here is just that I, I, I do think that 
I know I've been kind of asking rhetorical questions a little bit to get to the point that I do feel like uh, we're just we're just not we're just not recognizing our fellow workers in other fields that might be just distant from us that we're just not we don't interact with and we don't understand like rail workers like you know to bring it back to that like we don't you know most of us don't live around them at all, you know what I mean like you know it's very rare you probably bumped into them if you live in an urban area like I do uh, um, and but at the same time we ain't getting none of our shit unless because mo most of that stuff comes in on the on the trains and and we, we really should have more solidarity with these people regardless of what their politics are or what their religion is or, or you know any of those crazy affiliations because we can hash that shit out once we all get a good wage and, and some health care you know what i mean does that make sense exactly that's what makes sense to me um that's why i i was kind of disappointed to hear the the president there of the railroad um union say um well if congress makes that decision then so be it and we'll revisit this uh, again two years from now i was like what <laughs> i'm like what was this all feel, for it feels controlled opposition so that's that's the, you know what i mean the thing that really kind of bugs me about all this is it just feels like we're being controlled like if we do organize we do get together we go buy the things we form a union da 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 put our grievance in paper dot all the t's and cross all the i's and do all that shit and still they go yeah well all right we'll look at it again in two years you know what i mean like they just yep. don't so to me that that's why I, I, i'm with you on the general strike uh, uh totally uh, you know I, I was being facetious in the beginning about saying like how's it gonna work savvy but <laughs> that's just to play devil's advocate but i do agree yeah like i mean at this point we we have to all kind of show each other across the board you know, right. people that you don't relate to, people you don't agree with, people you don't see philosophically or religiously eye to eye. You know, we're, at the end of the day, it's our labor that makes everything work. And at this point, we got to shut it down. That's right. Well said, CR. Thank you so much for calling in. Thank you for taking me call. All right. We are going to bring in uh, Marxist here. You are on the mic. And one thing I wanted to add too, really quick, what um, to add on to what CR said about the whole unity thing, like to me, it was just like, <clears throat> what a waste, like you guys had so much power here and, and to really make something happen and have your demands met and to just say in the interview, like, well, if Congress makes that decision, we'll just revisit two years from now. I'm like, no, like this would have never happened during like our grandparents' generation. Like what if MLK said, Oh, well, they told me we can't sit in this restaurant. So I guess we just fall back and we just scrap this and come back to no way. Like nothing would have ever been done. Like we wouldn't have had a civil rights movement if they just gave up so easily. Like this is crazy. What's going on, Marxist? Hey, um, I'm Marxist Sock. Uh, can you hear me? I can hear you. OK, OK. Yeah, I wanted to talk. I, I, I love your show, Savvy. Um, I, I wanted to uh, I wanted to talk about <clears throat> I want to talk about the earlier we were talking about China. I want to talk about China that a lot of people in the United States don't understand and, uh, and how, how it's relevant to the rail strikes. How it's relevant to strikes in general, especially, you know, mass general strikes is um, I, I wanted to talk about China's democratic system because a lot of, you know, you, our, our corporations here love to push into our faces every day. That China is a 
um, is not democratic. China is not a you know free country. The government decides everything there, right? But there, there's something. Um, the fact is that China is more democratic than we've ever been in the United States. China has a much a superior democratic system that is entirely different than the system that we have here in the United States, which is a what, what you know I call a corporate democracy. Um, and mm. uh, yeah, were you going to say something? Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, Danny. I'm not sure. Have you ever watched The Left Lens? Um, with Danny, Danny Haifong. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Danny Haifong, yeah. he he came on um a while back and he did a whole um a whole spiel on uh China um and he was saying similar thing to what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's this is this it also it ties into the strike movement, you know, because it began as a strike movement. It's what is how the system began and I mean, with China, China was kept in feudalism by colonialism up until 1949. So, uh, you know, it, it was kind of a different form of strike, you know, the strike but the 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 system that China picked up is what was the Soviet system in the Soviet Union. And the Soviet system began out of mass general strikes, particularly in 1905, which erased the autocracy or not erase, or it didn't erase it, but it forced the czar to give into these, uh, um, these like uh, compromises where he allowed a constituent assembly, allowed freedom to assemble, allowed like things that the czar didn't have. And then this is this system that developed out of after that is what picked up in China. And how it works is uh, there's a level. So it starts at the council or what was called the Soviet. You know, it starts at the council. It's like a, it could be a, a workers council. It could be a neighborhood. It could be like a farmers cooperative. It could be a, a, a military barracks. It's been all of these things. And we don't have this level in our in our democracy here in the United States. And so that that council among everybody elects a delegate to represent them to a, a upper level or what is the local level. And so they have a council that's like a local council, right? And that would be like what we have here is the city hall or the, the county, you know, the county quorum court. Um, and then from there, that council elects somebody up to a, like a, what is a regional council, which would be like the state level here, you know? And then from there, that level elects somebody to the national assembly, which would be like the federal level. Uh, and, you know, here and the uh, the National Assembly decides, you know, you know, decides everything at the national level, the state, everything at the state level, the local, everything at the local level. And they get to elect all the way up. And so and here's another thing about their system that we don't have in the United States. And it's the ability to recall a delegate at any time. Uh, like, say, you and your council of so like, say, you know, where you work at, say you work at a hospital. Um, you know, your council gets to say, I, I don't like how our delegate, you know, is, keeps voting for our um, our local this local representative we have here. Let's recall them. What do y'all think? Okay, yeah, recall them, and they can recall them at any time. They they have uh, you know open discussions and everything, and it's it's uh, it, it sets democracy there at the at that level, you know. And we don't have that. It's it's a uh, here if you notice city council meetings across the whole country, it's very. Um, it's very like uh, uh, you'll see you you across the whole country you'll see so many people just like like one after another rip into their city council like people they voted for just rip into them for just the whole time one after another on Zoom and the city council will still be like all right well and then just vote the like you know build a forty million dollar police department in a town of seventy thousand people where half the people live on wells. And everybody's just mad because it's they're very class antagonistic because, you know, they, they 
even the city councils have to answer to who pay them. And that's the lobbyist system. That's what we live in is the corporate democracy, you know. And China did away with this. And people have a hard time understanding this in the United States because we just never see it. We never learn about it. Not a lot of people here speak Mandarin or, you know, or even speak Russian to understand what the Soviet system was like. And uh, it's, a, it's a superior form of democracy because corporations, even capitalists outside of your country, can't corrupt that electoral system because there's there's so many there's so many councils that elect all the way up, you know, that elect the whole way up. They can't. Whereas here, you know, you have a vote every two to four years. Um, the two parties pick out who's going to run for whatever position. You get the vote on all the positions. But the parties, you know, bureaucratically, basically, they, they pick out who's going to run. You vote for one or the other, the corporation, and then the corporates, corporations lobby them. And if they can't lobby them, they're going to lobby everybody else in their party. And if they're just being too much of a problem, they're just going to, you know, silence them the whole time and then get them out the next election around. And that's that's because what a that's that's a word called dictatorship. That's a corporate dictatorship. It's the uh, and it's it's what we're experiencing now in the strikes. It's what we're what we are seeing in a say if we were to have a mass rail strike in December 9th. We will see two different dictatorships duel it out, battle it out. You know, these, these rail corporate, these corporate rail companies, they're practicing their dictatorship when they go get Biden or whoever to say, yeah, we got to get, let's make these people go back to work. They're using the state because they don't have the, they don't have the, the power that the productive force that all those rail workers have. They have to go get their government. So the government is constantly opposed to the workers in this society. They're constantly uh, uh, opposed at each other's interests. The workers are constantly trying to get more for their labor, and the owner is trying to get more of their labor for less, right? And so uh, that that's the that's it's because we're in a very old organized form of society. It's a 250 year old uh, capitalist state, right? That started with the capitalist revolution and the uh, American Revolution, um, and you know, and the. Go, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I mean, it's, it's, it's just crazy that like it's, it's 2022. If anything, we should, we shouldn't have to fight for like workers' rights in 2022. America already had this fight. They already had this fight. They had the labor movement. I mean, come on. Like they, they had like a lot of people pressured FDR. People bring up the New Deal a lot and I always remind people, it's not like he just did that on his own because he wanted to help the people. He was pressured. There was pressure put on him by pe by the people. And so that's why he did those things. And when I tell people we need to do the same thing today, we need to put pressure on the politicians. People are like, oh no, we can't do that. We need to be nice to them. I'm like, be nice to them to what? They're not doing anything. They're not giving us anything. So why do we have to be nice to them? Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's the hegemony itself. Like it, you know, it what enforces these policies that's like you know that that weakens the 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 unions or weakens the workers in general across the whole country. It's a physical thing. It's the the physical. It's a, a physical coercion point that protects like production or ownership over production, ownership over property, and that that's what the state essentially is. That's what the state actually is in itself, and uh, um. So, but, you know, because that's a, a physical coercion point, if, it, if there's too much attrition against it, it wears down and it has to comply, right? It's, it's why they say, you know, uh, politics and war are very similar. They're, they're, they're basically the same thing. Uh, what they say? War is just politics by different means, you know? 
the politics is the more diplomatic version of war, but it's for this reason. They have to have this hegemonic thing. And it kind of resembles like a, like, I mean, I, I don't want to call it a cult, but it's like the way they're like, they see somebody else do it. And they're like, Oh, this, this has to be like a, like a, a, a divine spirit telling us this about China and Russia and, and about how like we, you know, uh, we don't vote for Biden. We vote for Trump and we have to, we have to get in our side. And it's then they're kind of just being drug around by what they see because their ideology is entirely dependent on their, their consciousness, like what they know, you know? And so, you know, in the same way that the state is, or our corporations, this extra ownership over everybody's production, the same way that they're, um, you know, they, they basically liquidate out our state. They liquidate out our, you know, democracy. They liquidate out our media as well. Somebody can work for Walmart, let's say 40 hours a week. And, you know, and then their productive value of, of their work, their actual value is used to sponsor something in the media that is completely, you know, contradictory to their interests, you know? Um, it, it, so they're working there. They're sitting there working every day more and more so that they can have, uh, so that their political opposition grows. So what counters their actual interest grows more and more and counters them, you know? It's the, uh, because and I, I tell people, oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I tell people all the time that this is what a lot of people don't, like, I don't think a lot of people do in the United States. And I know I didn't for, you know, a large part of my life was that when you, when we look around at everything around our, like everything around us, whether we're in a, a, a room or a city, everything there took a, a, like a process, a time, like a, an amount of time that somebody spent doing what it took for that to be there physically. Right. It took a, right. uh, of their finite life, you know, if they're a finite part of their, their or a part of their finite life to put it there. And if that doesn't happen, there is no society. Nothing develops. We don't have houses or computers or food or anything. That's kind of what strikes show because in, in that whole process of it getting there, whether it was a machine that made it, whether somebody had to make the machine that made it, whether somebody had to make the machine that made the machine that made it, whether somebody had to drive a truck to get it there, it took all it's 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 like a, a physical democracy that actually exists is the production process that continues our society. And uh, but nowhere in there is there any is there any physical real need for this extra ownership over this whole process, this extra mm -hmm. uh, this uh, this capitalist ownership. You know, I, it's sometimes when I explain this to in just anybody, I'll kind of avoid using that word. But here I could use the word capitalist like, you know, it's uh, because it's. Capital is just a piece of paper that is, is, has no actual, you, you know, it's not just pieces of paper that gets this around. What gives that capital that, that the capital is just a note of a value that's only enforced by the state, you know? So it's these own, it's these, it's this extra dead weight of ownership over our society that is, uh, uh, that entirely relies on the government for its physical existence, you know? But that's not the case with the people who work and that's not the case with people who drive trains or drive trucks or, or nurses or, you know, teachers or anybody who carries out what we need in our society, you know, that they have a, what we call, what I like to call an inalienable dictatorship. They have an inalienable dictatorship over this, uh, over this government or any government. It's also, and this is what was realized in China too, by the way, that, that you know, this is, this is what Mao Zedong, you know, would, would talk about, would teach Chinese peasants and stuff is the dictatorship of the proletariat, you know? It's a uh, mm -hmm. proletariat meaning working class. I hear you like well said Marxists. that definitely need to be said. I think that um, you're right. A lot of Americans do have the wrong impression 
of China and the government in China. Um, and I mean, even myself, like I had to educate myself about what it really is and what's really happening. And I think there's a lot of like fear mongering about China here in the United States, by the way, and that's coming from the U.S. government. And it happened under Trump too, not just under Biden. And I think that, you know, I, I just, I think that at some point, and I don't know if it'll happen in my lifetime, but at some point, I really, really hope the American people, the working class and poor people in this country, one day just take a look in the mirror and just take a deep breath and look around and see how things have not improved in their lives and just say, you know what, screw this. Like, we're not doing this anymore. Like, it just, imagine if everybody, like I said, the railroad workers, that obviously would be a big impact. That's why Joe Biden responded so quickly. That's why he jumped in. That's why he's asking Congress to jump in because he knows it would have an effect on the economy. You don't see them stepping in to stop Starbucks from unionizing. You don't see them stepping in to stop that Amazon uh, location from unionizing because that's not really going to have a, a drastic effect on the, the U.S. economy. The railroad workers would. So would the truckers. So would the port workers. If you can't shut down the supply chain, they're not going to really try to intervene because you're not a threat to the U.S. economy as a whole. So in order for us to have a general strike in this country, you have to shut down the supply chain in some way, shape, or form, unless unless at least 3% of the population is willing to walk off their jobs. And most people aren't willing to do that, and it'll be hard to get to that 3% because people have to pay their bills and people have to provide a roof over their head. And so this is how they keep us, in so many words, a slave to the system. This is how they keep people constantly working. This is why people still have to work two and three jobs. Like it's ridiculous that in this country people have to work two jobs, but some people do depending on where you live, depending on how much education you have or depending on how much you're paid. Uh, there should have been some type of strike the same way there were millions of people that rose up across, across the country to protest about George Floyd. Hmm. We should have had that same type of movement in reference to minimum wage in this country. How is it 2022? And minimum wage is still $7.25 an hour. This is absurd. This is insane. People can't live off of that. So it's just when we talk about economic things, like people will come out for social issues. But one of the things I notice, if you try to get people to come out for economic issues, nobody want to budge. Why is that? Well, yeah, I, I was, you know, yeah, that, I, I hear a lot of people say like, oh, there's, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, Americans are being too civil that when like, or it's not like back in the day, like, but you know, we have to consider, we did just have the largest mass demonstration in us history two years ago. And if you've noticed nowhere in the media is, is talking about it. Nowhere in the, like, it's not, they don't even criticize it now. It's just, they don't even mention It's like, it didn't even happen. And I think it is because this this state knows that it cannot have this. I mean, these corporations, this this corporate dictatorship knows that it cannot have that again. That that if if it has much more of those, it's it's going to have to something's gonna it's something's gonna fall apart for it because everybody got to practice their what, what I call practicing their dictatorship. All the people got to see what it was like to be in to stand up to this. The, I guess it was like a small scrimmage to see what it was like. But it was everybody across the country. It would be it went on all year, you know, nearly. But it was 
like 350,000 people up to in Philadelphia at one point, but also all across the, the country in these small rural areas, like little town, little bitty towns out here where there's like two exits to the highway or whatever, they would have, you know, Black Lives Matter protests. And they and it kind of broke that those areas in to be political in a way that they've never had, never had before, you know. And I, I think the state is absolutely terrified of that level of, um, I guess, political opposition reemerging. And it's specifically terrorized if it reemerges as a mass general strike. Because that's, that's what, uh, that is what has led to the fall of capitalism and colonialism all throughout, uh, history. And, and I mean, at least in developed countries, particularly the countries that were more developed into capitalism, it was, uh, um, and I think that's what they're absolutely terrified of. And so there's a, there's all, it's a different, uh, it's a different, it's a different uh, atmosphere now. People are, they think more political now than they did before. And um, it, it was, uh, um, I, yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, and, and I think what it, it's going to take like a, some, some uh, theoretical leadership, you know, and uh, among the, 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 the leaders that we have now, you know, who can, uh, who, who don't, you know, um, I mean, who don't, uh, uh, uh it's going to take some theoretical leadership. That's one thing I've, that I, I saw personally, you know, as great as the, or like the, the protests were, were extremely important in 2020. Uh, it, it was often that cert like maybe some, there, there were the demands of the protests were oftentimes drowned out by Democrats being sent out into the community to say, stop saying to fund the police. That loses yep. people, you know, what, what, who does it really lose? It loses their donors. That's what they're, that's what, you know, cause they can't, liberals cannot acknowledge class. That's not, you know, it's people, you know, it loses people and it, specifically people with a lot of money who, who, uh, survive off prison labor, like defense contractors, you know, um, that's what they, that's what they meant by it loses people. Uh, but that was, that was obvious. The most clear demand of, I think of the, of those protests was to defund the police and to, yep and to stop targeting black people in the United States. And, and because we are the most incarcerated country in human history, you know, and it's the, uh, it's everybody, people in the United States have never been more in agreement ever in history that there's than than they were in 2020. And that the sentiment was that um, we, you know, our police are extremely uh, corrupt. They're extreme. Our police system is wrong. It's our, our police system is racist. And it's a uh, complete. It, it, it's it's standing in the way of everybody's, uh, I guess, well-being. You know, like everybody sees this and knows that this is wrong. What's happening? Um, That's right. I, I, you know, it's okay if I. One thing I, I notice about, particularly with with George Floyd, I've I've often like a lot of people wonder why why particularly were things so viral when George Floyd went around. Um, are you, are you aware of George Floyd's, uh, music career he had? Yeah. I interviewed his, uh, his uncle, by the way, I interviewed oh. his uncle last year. Yeah. So he told me a lot of things about, um, about George Floyd that mainstream media didn't mention. And, um, I think that, you know, that video really went viral and I think that was one of those examples where you couldn't really say, okay, well, were his hands up or down or anything like you couldn't say that there was no, 
well, maybe he did this, maybe he did. There was none of that. You you couldn't say that after watching that video. It was very clear cut. And that's that's part of it, uh, why it trended the way that it did. And it, it went international as well. Like I said, like there were people protesting in South Korea, like all over the world uh, about George Floyd. And it's just really sad that after all of those protests, the demand of defunding the police did not happen because, again, the Democratic Party got a hold of that. Nancy Pelosi and Jim Clyburn and the rest of those goofs kneeling in kente cloth, looking like a damn fool. They got a hold of that. Black Lives Matter sold out, not necessarily the activists per se, but the organization sold out to corporate interests. And so there went that. And then also, right after Joe Biden won, most of those protesters went home. So Chuck Modi, he actually captured a lot of that on video. And he said the same thing. It was just like the moment it was announced that Joe Biden won, the protesters were like, okay, well, we're done here. So most of them went home. And there were still some people protesting in D.C. and Portland, uh, Oregon. Uh, but after Joe Biden won, the media stopped covering it. And so that was an, another part, another problem with it. People should have continued protesting as if because Trump was gone, okay, all of a sudden we don't have to deal with police brutality. No. Where were all those same people last year with all the police brutality events we had last year and this year, which most of them did not get anywhere near as much attention as the George Floyd murder, but that yeah. they were silent. They were nowhere to be found. And but the, the real activists, like the real ones who are out there, like the ride or die people, they were, were still protesting about Amir Locke. People were protesting about Jalen, Jalen uh, McMillan. That one was recent. But yeah. all the others, they're nowhere to be found. Yeah. I, and, you know, the, before I, I get off, I've, I've, thank you for having me on. Um, I. I wanted to point out something about, you know, that I think I think leftist organizing and that, you know, there's socialist organizing, communist organizing, labor organizing needs to like could learn from 2020. And it's it is the fact that, um, you know, I mean, it's it's what what went so viral about George Floyd to where things picked up, because what what the. What the, what a difference was with George Floyd's you know music group is the screwed up click like the most probably the most famous uh, group out of Houston was that screwed up click didn't have these like uh, conditions for them to make contact with people in their in, when they toured you know I mean we have I have a friend who has like original screwed up tapes that he got from his cousin who got him at a SWAT meet from somebody from from screwed up click and they went around and organically promoted their music everywhere they could. They never stopped and said, well, is, what, what ideology is this person? Is this person left wing? Is this person right wing? If they were just doing music, you know, and they, if they would perform where they could. So all these people had these personal stories with, you know, with screwed up click and also with, with the George Floyd, um, they would, you know, and that shared all over the country into this uh, population that locally all had their own, um, you know, police incidences that got covered up by the corporate media, you know, they got suppressed out, but they didn't let ideology, you know, hold them back before they say sold a CD or did a show or, or got in contact with somebody. And I think that might have something to do with the, uh, with the mass scale of, of what that was, was so many people personally knew him and had personal stories with George Floyd. 
I think um, when we when we kind of circle ourselves in instead of elevating, you know, consciousness where we can and elevating political consciousness or even getting people involved. And, you know, in the southeast, it's a very it's very um, I, I, you know, I live in Arkansas. It's a very uh, it's it's very apolitical. That's a, you know, you know, George Floyd was from Houston. It's it's very apolitical. So it's like politics wasn't always necessarily the thing that spread music, right? Like it's definitely not what spreads music down here. But uh, being able to contact, but even you know, uh, something that wasn't a political movement, when it, it 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 couldn't avoid what politics is. You know, it's it's the the struggle, the class struggle itself, the struggle itself. I mean, um, it would it would be that. Eventually, you know, but you don't have to be political to see what the police are doing in this country is absolutely is absolutely wrong. And that whoever is controlling our police does not have anybody's like best interest at hand and they're racist. You know, that's the uh, that's something I think that that um, I think leftist organizations should look at is, is what what it was that made George Floyd um, go viral. And and that it wasn't. The, you know, screwed up click wasn't a circle that hung around themselves and thought about how good they rapped, you know, and, and how, how they were the best rappers. They, they, um, they went out to the, they had to go out to the people and make contact with people and, and show them their music and let them hear it at car shows and show, like, let them see for themselves their music. It's something I think that we have to do with, with our struggle. You know, we have to show people our, our, our struggle, the science of it, you know, and the people, you know, the people will, uh, will, uh, do the rest for us, I guess, you know, um, well we, have to, we have to organize them. Yeah. Well said. Well, thank you so much for calling in Marxist. I'm going to go to the next caller. Thank you. All right. Let's go ahead and bring in Diana. Whoops. Diana, I hit the wrong thing. Make next caller. Okay. Diana, you're on the mic. What's up? Just have to hit the unmute button. Oh. Oh no, Diana. I hope. I hope it's not the app again. Maybe if I invite you to speak, maybe that'll fix it. No. I think you have to unmute Diana. You might be trying to unmute and I don't know. Like I said, the app sometimes can be a little glitchy. I'll see if I can invite you to speak again. Oh, poor Diana. I'm so sorry, Diana. Um, I'm going to go ahead to Brent. Brent, I'm going to invite you as a speaker just in case Diana um, is able to unmute later on. But uh, go ahead, Brent. You just have to unmute. Oh, no. Maybe it is. Hello? Okay, there we go. Okay. Hello. Hi. So um, I listened to your... Um, the YouTube show and um, it's very interesting because on the one hand you want to believe that all the railroad workers are in solidarity they want more benefits and stuff like that but some I have a feeling some of them are, are thinking yeah the situation sucks it's horrific that 
you have to use vacation time as when you get sick. I think that's that's terrible. But they're probably thinking, if I strike and quit my job, who's going to pay my bills? Who's um, who's going to pay for it? So um, they're probably thinking, we're just going to have to suck it up and just deal with it. But on the other hand, change doesn't happen when you prioritize money over your principles like the civil rights movements i'm sure a lot of people lost their job lost their homes etc to stand up for what they believe in so it's it's kind of a tough situation but at the same time like i don't know like hopefully uh the government helps but we can't really depend on that so i just want to hear what you have to say yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I'm pretty sure some of them are worried that if they, they go on strike, like they may not have enough mutual aid um, stacked away to take care of their bills. Like typically when people will go on strike or, or as a union, like I think the Alabama coal miners, I think they're still on strike. I have to double check on that one, but they started their strike, I want to say last year. Um, but Typically, those types of fights, they'll have enough mutual aid uh, set up. Their family members will help out each other's family members. They'll make food for each other. I, I saw this with the Alabama coal miner strike. So they, they were doing all this stuff for each other, helping each other out. But it depends on how many employees there are. And it depends on how much mutual aid you have, how much money you have set up, right? So that's that's a factor. And that's why I said, honestly, at this point, I get it that they're a union and they want to stick together, but if I know that Congress is probably, or they're trying to come in to tell me, listen, uh, you guys can't go on strike, get back to work, then why not just quit and find another job? Because that, I think for me, that's the thing. Like, I wouldn't go back to those working conditions. I wouldn't go back to working conditions where they don't want to give them sick pay. This is absolutely ridiculous. Like everybody should have that option. So for me, I would just quit and say, okay, guys, it's been fun. It's been great. I'm out. <laughs> I'm going to go get another job, which they could all do. So that's the other thing. It's like, if it is, it's as bad as they said, and I watched the videos um, about them trying to reduce their health care and not wanting to pay their, their sick pay and them being on call. If it's that bad, then why not just go get another job? And, and that's what bothers me. And I get it. This is their passion. And this is something that one of them in the video said he's always wanted to be a railroad engineer. And I get that. But sometimes, sometimes it's like you have to put that pride aside and do what's right. Because this isn't going to change. When I heard that gentleman say, well, we'll just have to revisit this in two more years. You guys are going to put up with this for two more years? It was, that's just bizarre to me. I don't get it. I feel like they came so far. Right, right. It's kind of, I don't know. I mean, people, they, they, they're thinking about their, I mean, if money was not an issue, which is not realistic, everyone would be striking, you know, but the, the financial, um, the money component it weighs on people's minds whether they think about it or not, and it's it affects their decision making. So, it's I just don't think it's real. Like if there's if 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 it comes to the point where they have to strike, I don't think 
it's going to be as unified as we would like to think. I mean, that's just the world we live in. You know, I mean, what you're saying, it's, it's an, it's an idealistic, like with the civil rights movement, I, I don't think Martin Luther King's dream, people like to say it's, it's been realized. It hasn't been realized. People need to get with the program. It hasn't been realized. So even the civil rights movement, as, as, as much progress that has been made, I don't think even that has been fully realized. So in regards to the strike, I don't, I don't think it's going to, people are going to go full on quitting their job. I don't think that's going to happen, but hopefully uh, Congress acts, but who knows? Um, and you spoke, uh, there's another thing I want to uh, uh, speak about. You said something about unlimited uh, leave. Mm -hmm. um, how is that realistic when a business has to run? How is that realistic to give someone unlimited leave? Would I be unpaid or paid? It's what paid. do you think would be fair? It, all of it would be paid unlimited. Yeah, so th that's actually more common here um, in the Boston area, uh, especially for people that work in the tech industry. That's actually where that started here. That's where that idea came from, where some of these like startup and tech companies were like, look, we're going to be very different. We're not going give, to give you a limited amount of vacation time. Uh, you don't have to wear a suit to come here to work. You don't have to wear khakis. If you want to show up here in jeans and a hoodie, you can show up in jeans and a hoodie. Oh, and by the way, we're going to have a ping pong table in the back. We got a keg in the back. We got a fridge. We have catered lunch every day so you don't have to bring your lunch. You don't have to pay for lunch. We're going to take care of you here. So that's where that started from um, in Boston, the Boston area. It came from the tech and the startup companies. And then some of the other companies were like, you know what? That actually makes sense. I don't really want to have to sit there and have HR calculate people's PTO. It's just, it really is a nuisance and a waste of time. And so more companies have adapted that and said, here you get unlimited vacation. Now, how does it work? People don't abuse it, believe it or not. Like no one goes in and says, hey, I'm going to take two months off for my unlimited vacation. People don't do that because they know the work has to get done and they know in order to keep their job, they still need to do the work. But it's nice knowing that you're not limited to just two weeks vacation um, in a year or just one week vacation in a year. It's nice knowing that if you want to take vacation like four or five different times throughout the year, you can take four or five weeks off and not have to worry about if you used up your time. Same thing with sick pay. A lot of, again, a lot of the tech companies started that here, where they're like, "Yeah, unlimited sick pay." Like we don't want to, we don't want to calculate all this stuff. So surprisingly or not, like people don't abuse it. Most people are going to use it responsibly. Now your supervisor can still say, "Well, I'm sorry, you can't take that week off because we have important meetings that week, or we have production has to get through that week, or we have a deadline that week." But for the most part, from what I've seen people haven't had an issue. I see. I see. So basically you, as long as you get the work done, um, you can take as much time as you want. So that's basically what you're saying, right? And besides the deadlines and stuff like that, as long as you get the work done, um, you can take as much time as you want and, and they'll pay you for it. Is that what you're saying or? That's right. That's I'm, right. Okay. Um, it's becoming more, okay. yeah, it's becoming more common um, with other companies here now, I came from higher ed and higher ed, we, we do not have that, but 
even in higher ed, I had at least five weeks um, paid vacation time for the year. And then if you don't use it, you have to use it by a certain time or you start to lose hours for your vacation. So, I mean, I never got to that point, but some people have where they were told like, you have to take off, you have to take off time. Um, but for the most part here, based on what I've seen, like the vacation time isn't, hasn't been an issue and the sick time hasn't really been an issue either. Um, but I will say that that was one of the things that frustrated me about the railroad workers when they were saying like they, all they were asking for was just four days, four days of sick time. And I'm like, that's absurd to me when I live in a place where a lot of these companies give unlimited PTO. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, it, it makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I think more people should do it, but I mean, obviously they, I don't know why, but I guess people are greedy and they want everybody in the office. So <laughs> some of it's that, and some of it's micromanagement mm. because we had to deal with this um, during remote work during the pandemic like some supervisors didn't trust that their staff was actually going to be working when they were working from home. And I'm like, well, if you see the work getting done, (laughs) like, what do you think, what do you think is happening there? So some of that is just micromanagement. Like some people don't want to give you too much time off because they want you to be in the office so they can see what you're doing. That's part of it too. But then also it's just, I feel like it's a capitalist mindset and, People just want you working all the time. It's not healthy. And another thing I would add to this is the whole salary versus hourly concept. Salary employees, I've watched this over time, are incredibly abused and exploited. And I've I've been salary. I was salary for most of my career. And there's a big difference from when you're hourly and your salary, because when your salary depending on who your supervisor is, some of them will take advantage of the fact that your salary and they expect you to work all the time, anytime, day and night. Some of them will send you emails at one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, and then you'll get into work that day and they'll ask you why you didn't respond. Some of them take advantage of that. And I've always resorted back to, this is why I always say that hourly is better than salary because when you're hourly, If you work over that time, you get overtime pay. Salaried employees, for the most part, don't get overtime pay. Right, right. Um, Yeah, I guess. I mean, I mean, obviously, with like sports, is I think sports is different. Like, um, I'm I'm in LA, and there's a there's a controversy about um, Kawhi Leonard being on a salary, and he's not playing the game, so it's kind of like the worker can sometimes take advantage of it if the, if the management doesn't, um, you know, is not, doesn't want to act, you know? So, I mean, I guess it works both ways, but it mostly, um, I think it helps um, to have an hourly, in my opinion, because the more work, the more you work, the more you get paid, but that's just my Mm -hmm. opinion. Very true. Very true. That's it. Um, All right. Thank you. Thanks so much, Brent. Okay, Diana. I don't know. I I can invite you to speak again, but um, I'm going to go ahead and bring in uh, Brady. All right, Brady, you are the next caller. Just got to unmute. Aloha. 
what's hello solutions for this uh joe biden blockage we're experiencing um i'm not super hip or familiar with the railroad uh worker case but i mean i am uh hip enough after today to understand that joe biden is not being helpful from what i understand right so uh, less than helpful Right. So long story short, uh, the railroad workers were trying to reach an agreement with um, the the union, right? The union reps. And there were a couple of things they were asking for. One was uh, sick pay. So I think they were asking like four days sick pay. The other problem that they were running into is that they're, they've pretty much been on call. So sometimes they get called in at like one o'clock in the morning to come to work. Mm. So... These are the guys that I want to be. We need to hire more people. We need to take some of that money from Ukraine and hire more railroad workers. Right. Well, these are the guys that are on the front line. Just making sure I'm clear about that. Like they're the railroad engineers. Like you need to Mm -hmm. have them. Right. So they're gone most of the time because of their job. And so the way they were explaining is like, if they get sick, it's like not only Mm -hmm. having one or two days of sick pay. It's like, that's crazy that you're not going to get paid. So that was another thing. The other thing was they were trying to reduce their health insurance plan. So that was another mm-hmm. problem they were running into and they wanted a raise and they had worked tirelessly during the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. And they were just like, look, like some things have got to change. What I they- have a solution that I think is a little outside the box, but I think a really good idea to really get to the bottom of the situation and I think the best idea at this point in time is to highlight the Marco Polo report that the conservatives just handed us um, from Donald Trump's cabinet actually did uh, a report on the Hunter Biden laptop that exposes all the crimes. I think I told you about it a while back, the Marco Polo report. I think what we should do as leftists is something called or lefties um, is something called non-reciprocating behavior. And that's where we do something they don't expect us to do a report to to promote the idea of uh impeaching joe biden immediately oh no um and putting someone else in who can be more helpful with this railroad worker situation you said um i think you um you broke up a little bit you said impeach joe biden immediately yeah, impeach him for the crimes that have been highlighted on the Marco Polo report. I think if we as lefties were to come forth and say, hey, we saw the Marco Polo report, we acknowledge the fact that the Joe, the Hunter Biden laptop is real, and now it's time to start exploring the situation and taking it seriously instead of ignoring it, pretending like it didn't happen, calling it a conspiracy, any of this kind of stuff. Like, I think what we should do is meet them halfway and say, oh, yeah, good report. Let's impeach him <laughs> now, immediately. Let's do it. Let's get rid of him. And Kamala Harris, while we're at it, we'll find a way to get rid of her next if she doesn't act right. You know, um, plenty of things to impeach her for, I'm, I'm sure, too. Um, but at least a, a reason to put some scrutiny on her and be like, hey, we're kind of we're sick of the whole game. We're not playing anymore, you know. Um, it would encourage them to certainly start acting right. Um, right mm. now, what seems to be going on is this report's been out for like 
a week, two weeks already, and no one's talking about it. It's been ignored completely by the left. I only see people on the right talking about it. And that's only going to lead to a further dichotomy. I think we could use this as a moment to say, hey, admit we were wrong about Joe Biden. Like I voted for Joe Biden. I'll admit it. And it only took me about two or three months to realize, oh, man, that was a huge mistake. You know, the reason that I voted for Joe Biden was to protect women's abortion rights here in Texas. Mm. And it did not take long for me to realize that that was not good. That was he that was a lie. You know, that's not what he was there to do. So um, I think it'd be cool if we all came out as lefties and say, hey, we made a mistake and we're not afraid to admit we made a mistake. And so let's impeach him <laughs> and get someone in. <laughs> That's just my idea. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, um, you may not see people talk about it, or at least in left independent media talk about it um, on YouTube, I know for sure, because YouTube will pull it. Wow. Well, really? Mm-hmm. I thought they were mm-hmm. like... Some report. I saw some people talking about it on YouTube. They may pull that see. a couple of days from now. Like I, there were a couple of people that did talk about it. Um, when it first came out, I was one of the people that talked about it, and YouTube started pulling all those videos. Wow, it's yes. time to move to a new platform. Like Rumble, I think has it going on. A lot of people on Rumble, uh, BitChute, uh, not BitChute, but Odyssey. I use that one a lot. Um, Rumble and Odyssey, BitChute's cool too, you know, um, but we've got to boycott YouTube. This is nonsense. I think I had a talk with you a while back about another solution, and that was talking to people from all over the world, like having Russian citizens debate Ukrainian citizens about the situation. Like, Let's get people from both sides, have them have a conversation in public and, and, and make some decisions, you know, and see, see where the cards fall, um, see if they can maybe even come to some agreements. And maybe we can squash this war without using weapons. And you mentioned that anyone who speaks Russian could get a YouTube channel shadow banned, you know, advertisements blocked, stuff like that. Yep. And so we've got to move to a new platform and stop. We got to stop feeding that beast. (laughs) Which is crazy because they may not have anything to do with this conflict at all, but just because of who they are, you know. It's it's really crazy. Um, at the same time, though, uh, Tim Pool and Kanye West and Milo and Ooh, I saw Nick, that. Yes, so that can that, happen. That was good. I, I I hope that Tim Pool saved the country a lot of distraction. In that what <laughs> twenty minutes took him twenty <laughs> minutes to have them running out of the room. Intellectuals do not run from the debate table, so. Oh, Kanye, man. Kanye, and Milo Yiannopoulos are no geniuses. That's 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 been highlighted and exemplified brilliantly by Tim Pool. I, I'm not the biggest fan of Tim Pool, but I'll say he did a great job there. And um, yeah, Ye censored himself. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say this: that if Kanye really cared about his children, he would be much more vocal about this Balenciaga situation. I haven't heard Kanye say anything. Kanye, Kanye was bragging about all his Balenciaga stuff. He was just as culpable in all this stuff too. But if Kanye really cared about the safety of his children, he would be speaking up a lot more than he is right now. I mean, if, if I had a child in the situation that Kanye's children are in right now, there would be no end to the hell that I would raise. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that we were able to yank that hood on Kanye and Milo and Nick Quintez all at the same time. That was a three for one. Talk yes. about brilliant. 
Yeah. Can you explain to people about um, Balenciaga? Because I heard um, I did see a statement come from Kim. Ooh, you're asking it. the right guy. Uh, I'm heavily researched on this whole kind of situation. And so what I could tell you is that there's a weird dude that made a weird movie called the chromatis muscle or something like that. The chromatis cycle and the chromatic muscle or whatever is the muscle that controls like the testicles or whatever. So the whole movie is like this weird sexual identity movie. And he had a part to do in the, he was the one that's responsible for the campaign, I think. Or one of his books was highlighted in one of the stacks, but basically they hired someone who is kind of, they're kind of uh, overtly involved in some like Pizzagate style symbology is what I would say. It's, it's like overtly satanic themes um, having to do with like torturing children and stuff. There's an Instagram related to one of the ladies who is also in charge of the campaign and her Instagram is riddled with all kinds of uh, weird images of children being what looks like abused. Um, and this is very similar to James Alephantis's Instagram, if y'all remember back to the Pizzagate scandal. So it has a lot of parallels to Pizzagate, but there's not much denying it. People aren't denying it. It's kind of like this is happening a little too often, you know, for people to ignore now. They've kind of been busted. I don't know. Um, but if I were anyone even remotely affiliated with Balenciaga, I would be coming clean, blowing whistles. I'd be I'd be coming clean because there's a there's a lot of mama bears out there with blood in with it in their eyes, you know, um, coming at them. And so if I was Kim Kardashian, I mean, look at how they responded to Kanye criticizing um jewish people or like zionism or anything like that look at how they we have a whole word for someone who's racist against you know jewish people we don't have a word for people who are racist specifically against black people you know what do you call a person who's only racist against black people you know that they exist you know that that's like a whole group of people but we don't have a word for that you know um negrophobic <laughs> I like it's hilarious that's a good word I, I, I don't know if that i don't know if i'm in a place to 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 pass that word but that made me chuckle um but uh yeah you know um look at how we respond to people criticizing gay people and look at how we respond to homophobia um the response that we have to homophobia is nowhere near the response that we have to children being trafficked, you know, and mm. this is like a weird thing that we need to examine in our cultural society. And I place the blame squarely on the cult of Yahweh. There's a big creepy elephant in every room. And that is the cult of Yahweh. That includes Judaism. Um, uh, how do you say Islam and Christianity as well? All three of them. One big death cult that represent, they all worship one God. And if you observe the behavior of this God, it's objectively creepy. He's objectively murderous, racist, um, pedophilic, incestuous. I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going off. Like, I've had enough. Um, kids are getting hurt and, um, we're all being slowly tortured. And I think it's, it's stemming from this one giant death cult. 
Um, and that's what they are. They're a death cult. They, they believe in like some kind of mystical. It, it's, it's what it is, is an ancient uh, mind control technique to keep people uh, enslaved and comfortably, you know, serving the one percent. It's been working for a long time. I've had enough of it. Um, so we're blowing the lid not only off of uh, Balenciaga, but the Vatican as well. We'll take uh, the Vatican down with Balenciaga, hopefully. This is just another drop in this weird conspiracy bucket that is turning into an ocean that's about to pour over on these guys. So we just got to stay focused and not distracted by Kanye running for president. (laughs) (laughs) Well said, Brady. Well said. I appreciate all the work you're doing, Sabby. You're absolutely brilliant. You're one of the most hard. You're the hardest working lady in the biz. Absolutely. Hosting these rooms for us every night on call in. I appreciate it so much. Um, I'm going to, I recommend again, um, Whitney Webb's book. And if you get a chance to interview her, that'd be great. Um, and do uh, take a look at the Marco Polo report. If you get a chance and, um, keep an eye out for what's going on there. I'd, I'd love to hear any kind of update with what's going on in that situation. And I think it'd be really cool if we as lefties initiated the impeachment process for Joe Biden on this one. I, I, I don't think the narrative is calling for that. I, I think that that would totally throw a wrench in the narrative that they're constructing right now. That's a good point. Well, Brady, thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go to bad cookies. All right, bad cookies. You're on the mic. What's up? Hey, Savvy. How you doing? Doing good. How are you? Uh, I'm not doing too bad. Uh, how was your Thanksgiving? It was really nice. Um, we're finally done with the Thanksgiving leftovers, which is a good thing. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was really nice. You know, I, I always love uh, Thanksgiving. It's time for food. And we play like board games. Actually, this time we played card games and um, football. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> Sounds about like what I did for my Thanksgiving, too. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. Um, I hate being the closer. I wish we could have, I could have prepared better questions, but I only have a couple questions for you. Uh, my first question was, uh, do you think you can use your magical savvy powers to get that union rep on the one that they were interviewing on CNN? I could try. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I know I'm asking for a miracle here, but I think if you told him exactly what you're telling us, I think he would actually maybe listen <laughs> to put it frankly i could try um I, I could reach out to them um because i just want them to realize that they have more power than they than they may think like they got so far you know yeah and i think that that's the spin you can use if, if you manage to contact them as hey you know you guys have come so far where we like to promote these kinds of things. Why don't you come on my show and talk about it? And I, I think they would take the bait for that, but I, I really don't know. I don't, that's a speculation. I wonder too, if part of it is the fact that if they decided, if they decided not to back off and to just walk away, if then they would be seen as a target, as if people would get mad at them and say, you guys are the reason that our supplies aren't coming through so we're just going to make your lives hell now. They would and get that's ostracized. Why I said, yeah, that's what I was wondering. But that's why I said if they're not going to be able to go on strike and they're still 
tired of the working conditions, then they need to quit and just find another job. Yeah. That could be tough for some people, but I mean, honestly, if they're, if it is as bad as they say it is, then that's really your only other option is, Hey, you guys don't want to meet these demands. I mean, I'm going to walk then. That's the whole part of negotiations is having that hard line of, Hey, if you don't give me what I want, I'm walking away. So I would totally agree with you. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Cause I was going to say like, otherwise, what's the point of being in a union? If you can't, I mean, if you can't make demands, obviously like they're not reaching negotiations. So like, if you're just going to back down, what's the point? Yeah. Well, that, that also brings me to my second question, Sabby, is, uh, you know, why does it, I, I know why it takes Joe Biden to intervene in this, but why is it that they can intervene in this in order to keep the economy going in order to keep profits at the level that they're at? But as people mentioned in the, in the chat earlier, uh, the coal mine strike is going on what, 700 days and not, not a peep, not a peep has been said about it. I mean, what's the difference here? Yeah, that's right. Okay. I thought so. Cause I, if I remember correctly, I believe me and Nick talked about that last year, the coal miner strike. Yes. Okay. So they've been on strike for a long time. Um, the coal miners, they are up against uh, a powerful entity that is called BlackRock. And that is why uh, they're not really getting their needs met. Now, they've protested outside of Black Rock in New York City, too. They went all the way from Alabama all the way up there, and they were arrested. And that's a hard company to fight because they own so much property and they have so much capital. Mm -hmm. And so those guys, like, I tried to get them on, too. My channel was a lot smaller back then, so that's probably why I didn't hear. But I should reach back out to them and try to get them on because... More people do need to know about it. And you're right. A lot of people are not talking about the coal miner strike. I think some people have forgotten about them because it's been so long. But um, I don't know. I think when it comes to something like coal, I mean, people are already transitioning to other resources. Mm -hmm. So coal eventually is going to get to the point where they're like, all right, look, we're already planning for coal to not be around at some point. No, that's quite accurate. Yeah, they may not see that as as a need of urgency. Whereas with the railroad workers, Joe Biden's like, oh, I got to act now for this because they're going to interrupt the supply chain and that's going to affect food and things like that. We'll have a real a real hassle on our hands. So that's why they have to jump in for that. And it would be the same thing, like the same way the truckers protested in Canada. If the truckers did that here in the United States. It would be the same thing. Joe Biden would have to be like, okay, wait a minute. Let's try to fix this because we can't shut down the supply chain. So that is really how you're going to get a general strike. But it's just they have to realize how much power they have, bad cookies, and I don't think they do. No, I agree with you. I, I think the only reason, if I were to speculate on this thing, is I think the only reason Joe is intersecting is because he understands Christmas is right around the corner. And if the strike goes down during Christmas, the amount of profits that would be lost during the holiday season would be ridiculous. And I don't think uh, corporations would stand for that. So I think that's why he's stepping in. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, which leads me to ask this last question, Sabi, and I'll, I'll leave you go for the night. Cause I know you, you probably don't want to answer this one, but we'll, we'll go. I think uh, 
I think Joe Biden. Uh, do you think the Dems will try and spin all of this uh, railroad strike in order to make it seem like the DNC is union friendly? Like, uh, are, are they going to come out and say to the voters, hey, look, we came out and we negotiated for the, the uh, these railroad workers and and, you know, we're union friendly because we can settle these situations for people peacefully. Do you think they'll do some garbage like that? Because I think they would do something like that. I think they could. I think they would. They would spin it that way. They would say, see, they couldn't reach a negotiation. We jumped in and we helped them. <laughs> yeah, that's what I see. I, I see that coming down the pipeline. It's like, oh, look, election time's coming around. Oh, look, we're union friendly. We help everybody. We did it just to the railroad workers, what, a year ago, year and a half ago? Yeah, and exactly. That, people will forget. That's that's how they would spin it. But this is why I tell you guys, like, I like to show those letters. Like, don't forget those letters. <laughs> because in the letter that Joe Biden wrote, he mentioned, we cannot have a strike because this would devastate the economy. So you can always go back to those letters, just like the letter that was written in 2018, of April 2018, with Hakeem Jeffries and Rokana and all the other members of Congress that signed off on it, saying we should not donate weapons to Ukraine and that mm -hmm. they were worried about the Nazi uprising in Ukraine. Just like you can always go back to that letter. So those letters are important. And I wish more people would do that. Like, I wish I had that letter when I interviewed Rokana. I really <laughs> wish I had that letter then because I would have pointed to that letter and say, wait a minute. <laughs> I wish you had it too. That would have been so sweet. <laughs> yeah. But I got it later. I know. So, that sucked. But yeah, I think, I don't know, man. I, I really do feel like, I hope the truckers are paying attention. Yeah. I hope the truck drivers are paying attention what's happening to the real world um, workers and whether or not they want to try to pursue the same thing. Well, I, I, sadly, I, I feel they won't. And like I was saying earlier in the chat in your show is, uh, unfortunately, I think, uh, the way we are as Americans, we're we're too divided to ever actually realize, hey, you know, if we all come together, regardless of our political lines, you know, we can actually flex our power. We're we're too divided to ever come to that point, at least not in my perspective in the near future. Um, but that's all I had for you, Savvy. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You have a good night. Awesome. Thanks, Bad Cookies. All right, guys, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. I have um, a pretty busy day tomorrow, so um, I'll be back on YouTube Thursday. I'm off on Wednesdays, but I'll upload clips for tomorrow. But other than that, thanks so much for this discussion, guys. And um, be sure to, like, pass this on to other people and let them know what's happening with this railroad um, potential strike that has appears to now have been blocked let people know about this so they realize what's going on. I mean, if you say you're pro-union and you're pro-worker, I mean, why would you try to block their actions here? So let people know about that. But thanks so much, guys. Have a